This is chapter 2, Mishnah 13. We're going to do today Mishnah 13 and 14 because they are mirror images of, of each other, as we will see. And this is a continuation of the previous narrative. We were talking about Rabbi Yoch- Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai, the great sage at the end of the Second Commonwealth. Uh, he was the leader of the time, the greatest scholar of the time, a great Jewish personality. And uh, last time we talked about his five primary students. Of course, this is not to insinuate that he had five students, in effect, the entire Jewish nation, and we even could be considered his students, because he was, again, one of those vital links that connected the Torah tradition from the previous generation to the next generation. But these five students uh, were distinct. They, they stood out as being the next leaders of the Jewish people, or the, the outstanding disciples of Rabbi Yochum and therefore they are justly characterized at his, as his five students. In the last Mishnah, Mishnah 12, we learned about these five students and how the teacher, Rabbi Yochum Zakkai, he characterized their qualities. What are the qualities of these five students? How do they each excel? And uh, in the present Mishnah, uh, Mishnayo, it's actually the two Mishnahs that we're going to do, is he's going to be sending these five students on a fact-finding mission. He's going to give them a uh, question and ask them to go and ponder and probe and plumb the issue and come back to him with their findings. And in Mishnah 12, it's going to be, find me what's good. And in Mishnah 13, is find me what's bad. And in each one of these, in each one of these uh, missions, he's going to give us his take as well. Uh, following these two Mishnayos, we're going to have the teachings of these five students on their own. So uh, these particular five students, uh, some of them at least, are absolute legends of their era, uh, colorful personalities, impactful personalities, dynamic personalities, people that really uh, led the people, led the Jewish nation uh, at a very critical, pivotal juncture in their history. Of course, we're talking about the crossover from the time when the Jewish people are living in Israel under relative tranquility with the temple, temples destroyed, the Romans are slaughtering entire cities and villages, uh, the nation is scattering a lot of the uh, institutions that the Jewish people relied upon for centuries are going to be upended and destroyed and in constant turmoil. The relative detente that existed between the Roman rulers and the Jewish subjects is going to be absolutely shattered, and uh, during those very volatile times, these students, particularly Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yehoshua, are going to be some of the stalwarts uh, leading the nation forward. So we're going to learn more about them uh, during their respective Mishnayos, uh, Mishnah 15 and Mishnah 16 in particular. Uh, but let's see what this mission uh, constitutes and what we can learn from it. So again, we're Mishnah 13. This is on page 43 in the art scroll, uh, Perti uh, Avos Mishnais. Okay, Amar Lahem. He said to them, Go out and discern which is the proper way to which a man should cling. Go discover what's the good, what's the good path. And each one of them came back with a different answer. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Rabbi Eliezer says, 
After his research, he concluded that the good path is ayin tova, a good eye. Rabbi Yeshua Omer, Rabbi Yeshua says, Chavar tov, a good friend. Rabbi Yose Omer, Shachin tov, a good neighbor. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon says, Haroe es hanolad, one who foresees the outcome of his deeds. And finally, Rabbi Elazar Omer, Lev tov, a good heart. Amar lahen, Rabbi Yochum Zakai said to them, Roe ani es divrei Elazar ben arach midivreichem. I prefer the words of Elazar ben Arach over your words, i.e., the student, the sage that concluded Lev Tov, a good heart. I agree with him. Why? Shebechlal devarav divrechem. For included in his words are your words. Included in a good heart is A, a good eye, a good friend, a good neighbor, seeing the future. So that's the first Mishnah. Go find the positive path to pursue in life. Mishnah 14 is the opposite. Amalahem, he said to them additionally, See which is the bad path, the evil path that a person should distance himself from. And again, the students reported their findings. And if you'll notice, their exact mirror images of the good path is the bad path, is the evil path. Rebleza Omer Rebleza says, he said the good path was a good eye, the bad path is an evil eye. Ayin ra'a. Rabbi Yeshua Omer. Rabbi Yeshua says, Chaver ra'a. Uh, uh, a bad friend. That's the evil path. Rabbi Yosef Omer Shachin ra'a. Rabbi Yosef says, a wicked neighbor. Rabbi Shimon Omer. Rabbi Shimon says, Halove ve'eno mishalem. Uh, this is the one that seems to butt the trend. Uh, he said that the good path is someone who foresees the future, the future consequences of their behavior. And in the negative side, he says that it's uh, what's the worst evil path that someone sh- could follow? It's someone who borrows and does not repay. For one borrows from his friends as if they borrowed from God. The wicked, as the verse says, the wicked borrows and does not repay, while the righteous one, i.e. God, is generous and gives. And finally, Rabbi Lazar, Lazar Omer, Rabbi Lazar says, Lave Ra, in wicked heart, that's the worst path, Amar Lahem, and again, as above, Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan Batzakai gives his take on the matter, Ra'a Ani as Divrei Elazar ben Arach, I see, I agree with the opinion of Rabbi Elazar ben Arach, why? Shebechlal Devarav Divreichem, who is included in a Wicked heart is the other four that the other four sages have enumerated. So this is uh, the two missions that we're going to talk about today. Uh, you have the greatest sage of the time. He convenes his five primary disciples, the five Torah giants that are destined to be the future leaders of the Jewish people, uh, as we'll see maybe in a future episode. One of them the one that he prefers, Rabbi Elazar ben Arach, uh, was really destined to be his successor. He was his protege. He was uh, his primary pupil. But he made a decision, as we'll see, that caused him to kind of separate himself from the rest of the such scholars. And he never panned out. He was like that great baseball prospect. He's got all the tools, but for one reason or another, doesn't fulfill his potential. Um, so he sends them on the mission. 
find out what's the proper path and the wicked path that come with their results. And I think the most fundamental question to ask on this whole this whole narrative is what is this idea of sending students on a mission? So first of all, it, it, it's kind of different than everything we've seen prior. Uh, we began the book with a delineation of the transmission of Torah, God to Moses, Moses to Joshua, Joshua to the elders, elders to the prophets, prophets, men of the great assembly, etc., etc. It's the teacher teaching the student, the teacher studying from their teacher, teaching their students. And here, it seems like it's almost the opposite. It's the teacher is not telling the students, the teacher is almost asking the students, you tell me what you think. And this, all the commentaries talk about it in, in a different way, but this kind of marks, I would say, a certain departure uh, from the previous time. Uh, of course, it's a good pedagogical uh, tactic to ask the students, well, what do you think, before you give them your take as the teacher. Uh, but I think th- this does mark a certain shift. Again, previously we've seen one teacher teaches the student the student receives from their teacher. If you actually examine the rest of the book, you're not going to see that verbiage appearing again. You're not going to see that this student received from their teacher. The last one to do that is Rabbi Yochan Bazaka received from Hilda and Shammai. From then on, there, there's going to be some sort of change. And again, it's being hinted in the format. The teacher is telling the students, you give me the answers. Let me hear what you say. Because obviously, this tradition of a teacher teaching everything they know to their students and the student accepting it all and absorbing it all and knowing it all to the degree that they can teach it further, that is being disrupted on a certain level. Now, again, whenever we say that, we're talking about the sages of 2,000 years ago, quite literally 2,000 years ago. Uh, These were Torah giants that if we knew 1,000th of their Torah, we'd be by far the greatest Torah scholar alive. So obviously, it has to be understood in its relative context. Rabbi Eliezer, for example, uh, he is going to be the most outstanding of these students. Uh, the, the, the superlative descriptions of his Torah mastery that we find are just absolutely off the charts and mind-boggling. So again, it's in context. But there is a certain change here, and I think it's important for us to just pick up on that, to understand who these people are and what's happening. The temple's being destroyed. There's no no longer this supernatural embassy, so to speak, of God in the world. Rabbi Yochum Zakkai is the last standing guard of the previous era, so to speak. There's a new era afoot. So that's kind of one thing to point out. But what is the content, the body, so to speak, of this mission? You know, we have a Torah. And the Torah is... Very comprehensive. In fact, there's no conceivable life situation that you cannot ask the question, what is the Torah's take on it? It covers every conceivable life scenario you could find the proper guidance in the Torah. And therefore, it should always raise some eyebrows when we're told, well, go figure out on your own what you think. The the students are told, Go on a mission. Go on a fact-finding mission. Look, look in the real. Let's do some. Let's do a field study, and find out what you think. Tzuru, go out and see. 
it's always kind of it's 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 kind of kind of puzzling. Wait a minute, what's happening here? We have Torah, we have mitzvos, we have guidance. What is this idea that he's telling his students? You guys come and give me an answer. What do you think is the proper? Isn't the Torah the proper path? What exactly is he looking for? In addition, it seems like he's asking for a, a subjective answer. He tells tells each of his students, "You go find the answer, and then give me back your results." And then it seems like he pivots. Says, "No, no, no there is an objective answer. I, I agree with him. Included in his words are your words." So again, this this whole idea is 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 sort of intriguing. And I I, I think the general answer before we get to the particular answer, the general approach is that he's not asking them to tell him, you know, about Torah. Because Torah, you go to your teacher, and they teach you Torah. They're a greater Torah scholar. They have a greater scope of knowledge. You ask them for Torah. What he is talking about is something on a more individualistic level. So, for example, Rav Hirsch, the great German sage of the 19th century, German Torah sage, that is, uh, he used to say that uh, the tzitzis, we know that there's the mitzvah to wear tzitzis, these fringes on the court of your garments. And what you'll notice about the, about the tzitzis, this is called the tzitzis, this whole apparatus. And it begins with uh, a series of knots that are like kind of bound together. You have eight strings, but here it looks like it's one piece. And that's kind of constricted. But then two-thirds of it is kind of hanging loose. And the sages are quite clear in many different ways how tzitzis is emblematic or is representative of Torah at large. For example, the Talmud tells us that the mitzvah of tzitzis equals all 613 mitzvahs combined. Uh, in addition, the actual name tzitzis equals 613 numerically. And he pointed out that while the Torah has a degree of rigidity to it. You know, there is a certain part of it that is fixed, that is non-negotiable, that is set in stone. There is still like the parts that are dangling. There is like room for individualism. There is some wiggle room. There is, there is a part of it that hangs loose, so to speak, where each person kind of finds their niche. And the commentaries seem to say that what he's telling them is not to... Tell me what is kind of the fixed part of Torah. That you go to the teacher, you don't go to the students for. What he's telling them is, he's advising them, as your teacher, I have to teach you Torah. But on your own, everyone needs to carve out their own niche in Torah, their own life path, their own life perspective. And this is one of the things I think that uh, is a great misconception uh, that people have about Torah. Uh, that Torah is trying to cause us to kind of be cookie cutter and to fit in a certain mold. And to a degree, that is true. Because people can say, you know what? I like Shabbos, but I like it on Tuesday. That's not, that's not possible. There, there is a time when Shabbos begins, a time when Shabbos ends, and that is universal, that's fixed, that's non-negotiable, that's, and there's rules of Shabbos, and it's, it's, it's very detailed and very exhaustive and very comprehensive. And like that with all, with, with all the mitzvahs. But there is, you know, that, but that does not encapsulate what the Torah wants from us. Torah, the, the Almighty could have hired a billion automatons 
androids and say, okay, do the mitzvos, do them a million percent, do them with 100% accuracy. That's not what he wants. Of course, that is what he wants from us. And there is a certain degree of this is what you got to do and no questions asked, so to speak. But really, it's about, it's about us. It's about ourselves. It's about finding our unique connection with God on our level. The Almighty already had an Abraham and a Moses and a Jacob and a Joshua and a Rabbi Akiva. He doesn't want me to be that because he already had one of them. Like that role was already fulfilled. Each person is tasked with creating and developing and nourishing and sustaining their own relationship with God, their own path, so to speak. The Talmud says something astonishing. Talmud says that at Sinai, 600,000 people at the foot of the mountain, each one of them heard the same content, but in their own style, in their own way, with their own understanding, with their own individualistic take on the matter. And that, again, is representative of this idea that although Torah is, you know, has very little wiggle room in certain areas, but the objective uh, is, is not limited to us just doing, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and marking off all the check boxes that we need. It's about developing our own personal and unique relationship with God. And that's what he's sending his students on this mission. Go find what is your path. What is your path that you uniquely are going to focus on and foster your relationship, your unique relationship with the Almighty. I want to, I want to add a, a point to understanding this idea of, 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 of looking at this mission that Rabbi Yochumazaka is sending students on uh, in the light of everyone finding their own individual nature. I think then it has a lot of relevance to us. You know, this is a, a study that happened literally thousands of years ago. Uh, what's the relevance to us? I think the relevance to us is that what really the mission is conveying is that each one of us needs to do the same thing. Each one of us ha- should look to try to find where beyond, of course, the mitzvahs himself and the rigidity, so to speak, of the Torah, the, the, the parts of the Torah that are inflexible, we also have to find a way or look for a way to try to create our own niche in our spiritual lives, our own relationship that we have with God, where uh, we can excel, we could kind of let our individuality flourish. So uh, in this past week's Parsha, Parsha's Ekev, we read a verse uh, that's I think says this same point. It begins, Va'ata Yisrael, and now, O Israel, what does is the what does God ask from you? Only to fear God, to go in His ways, to love God, to worship God, to do all the mitzvahs. And there's a very similar verse in the book of Micah. What does God want from you? To love kindness, to do justice, and to walk humbly in God's ways, right? So it, it seems like these are the verses that say, okay, let's clear out all the noise. Well, what's the bottom line? And I think that's a mistake. It's not telling us what's the bottom line. It's telling us, the whole Torah is telling us what God wants from us. So what are the, what, what, why is this verse standing out? It's like distilling all 5,000 plus verses in, of Torah into one verse? No, it's telling us, what does God want from you? 
collectively we're all obligated with everything. But that doesn't leave our individuality on the side. We, we don't discard our individuality. We have to find our own relationship. And therefore it says different things. It begins with fear of God, which is a very serious relationship with God. But also in the same verse says love God. Well, which one is it? The answer is that everyone has a different personality and therefore everyone has a different way that they are most primed to develop a relationship with God. For one, it's love of God. For one, it's fear of God. For one, it's going in God's ways. For a fourth one, it's worshiping God. Everyone has their own set of skills and abilities and therefore they are directing those to finding their unique way to have a unique relationship with the Almighty. And I would argue and one of the commentaries, in fact, says this explicitly, that the previous Mishnah, Mishnah 12, Rabbi Yochum Zakai, he classifies the character of each one of his students. And he gives them all different classifications. One of them is, uh, uh, is like a sealed sister, doesn't lose a drop. Uh, one of them is, is a pious one. And one of them is an overwhelming, overwhelming spring. And each one of them, kind of, he, he understands their own characteristics. Again, the Almighty man is different. We're all different. The Torah is all the same. We're all different. And the answer is yes. Part of it is all the same. And part of it is finding the area where you're different and, and working along that vector. Here, he tells them, okay, I know your character. I want to see if you know your character. Go out and you tell me what you think is the correct path for you to excel on an individual level. And therefore, the commentaries point out, namely the Chassid Yaivetz, that if you actually understand the depth of what they came back with, you could compare it to their character and find out that everyone's character is exhibited with their findings. Moreover, in the subsequent Mishnas, where they themselves give us their teachings that also dovetails, number one, into their character, number two, into their findings of this study. So we have personalities and then their own unique path that they find is most apt for them to develop their own individualistic area of spiritual greatness, and then they say, okay, well, let me give you my lesson in light of that. And I would say this is a good model for us. Number one, find your character. It would be great if we had Rabbi Yochum to tell us, okay, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. That would be great. Uh, in absence of that, we have to do the best we can to find and identify and isolate our own character. Once you know what you're made up of, once you know what makes you tick, once you understand your strengths and your weaknesses, then you could say, okay, well, how do I implement that to find my own little path and carve out my own little trail for spiritual perfection? Okay, so it's interesting that the students come back with uh, what's the good path and what's, and what's the bad path. And there are almost four or five at least are mirror images of each other. And I think there's one question that we could ask is, okay, well, once we know what the good path is, ergo, we know what the bad path is. That's the opposite. And I think the lesson is that part of greatness in the Torah's vantage point is not only embracing the good, but it is eschewing and repudiating the bad. Moshe, for example, the greatest Jew, the greatest person of all time, uh, he is, the first stories we see about him is his intolerance for evil. 
And what it's telling us is that if someone is embracing good but not repudiating bad, they're not complete. So yes, he knew that the results would be the same, but he wanted them to go through the exercise as a good teacher would do, to go through the exercise to think not only what is good that I should pursue, but what is bad, identify it and avoid it. Now, all the commentaries ask the question of Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon says that the good path is finding, uh, is looking towards the future, being aware of the future. Uh, And the bad path, he says, is borrowing and not returning. So the obvious question is, okay, well, what's the connection between seeing the future, having foresight? uh, How is that exactly the opposite of borrowing? And not returning. So I saw in one of the commentaries uh, that I have on Perk Avos um, from, incidentally, my namesake, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, he writes a story that happened with him. It's a, a story that maybe will send chills down our spine. He says that uh, middle of the First World War, he had to travel from a city called Minsk to a city called Vilna. These are cities in Belarus and Lithuania. And he stopped in the middle of the night. It was raining. His wife was pregnant and they stopped in a small village that was entirely populated by non-Jews. And there was one Jew in town. And he went knocked on the door and he said, do you mind if I stay here the night or something like that? You know, a fellow Jewish traveler. It was really bad weather outside. And this guy absolutely refused to allow him in. And then the Rosh Yeshiva of the great Slabat Yeshiva, Rabbi Moshe Mordechai Epstein, also happened to pass through the town, also happened to go visit this Jewish person and ask for help. And the guy absolutely, stoically, completely refused. Afterwards, he found out that this Jewish person, he wasn't, uh, Jews don't tend to be cruel. He had once a traveler that he allowed to visit and to stop. And that person praying on his host's naivete or trust robbed him. And this host, this one Jew in town, made a pact, a decision, an ironclad decision. He is never allowing this to happen again. He is never allowing visitors to stay by his house, regardless of who they may be. And Robert Kamenetsky points out, it's like, think about the original guy. He had stopped by this guy's house and he saw some of his, uh, I don't know, some of his jewelry or some of his silver artifacts or whatever, and he desired it. He didn't realize not only is that a grave sin, but he didn't think about the repercussions of those actions. Not only did he do a grave sin by stealing, but he caused this person to develop a bad mida or a bad attitude towards travelers and guests in general, and who knows how many people that ripple effect had. And he says, that's what Rabbi Shimon is telling us. If someone borrows and doesn't repay, so they think, okay, you know what? It's a sin, but it's isolated. I, I, I made a mistake or I did something bad. I borrowed. I didn't, I didn't pay back. What he doesn't realize is Every single time that person, that lender, for the duration of his life will lend, it's going to be colored and influenced by this interaction. And if you don't see the future, you don't realize how far that can get and how much corruption 
that could engender by not seeing the future. I want to conclude with the with quoting the take of Rabbeinu Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah, he explains that this mission of Rabbi Yochum Zakkai is not necessarily to find the path, uh, the individualistic expression of the relationship that someone should have with God based upon their own existing character, but rather, he says, I want you to find the one magic bullet, the one mida, the one characteristic that will invariably spread to other midos. So I'll read you what he says over here. He says, of course, everyone should try to have all good midos, all good character. Of course. So why is he telling him to look for one thing? Rather, what he's telling is that it's better for someone to have one good characteristic, but have it completely, than to have a whole bunch of good characteristics, but not have them completely, have them only partially. So it's better to have 100% of one than 50% of 10. That's what he's saying. Why? Because there is a natural overlap that exists between good character. And therefore, if you have one characteristic, you have it 100%, eventually that will bleed into all other characteristics and that will be actually the magic bullet uh, that will lead to you having them all, which is just an interesting idea, is that if you have one thing so strongly and so unconditionally, eventually that will lead to other good things. Uh, so he goes through, again, the commentaries go through what exactly these things are. So we'll go through them quickly. Uh, a good eye, an eye, of course, is how you see other people. And... Therefore, if you see other people in a good, positive way, uh, it's the opposite of schadenfreude, uh, which is where you like seeing other people uh, falter. You know, they have on YouTube all these compilations of people like riding bikes and collapsing and falling off high buildings. And people like – there's a certain innate characteristic. It's a bad characteristic. It's called the evil eye where people like seeing other people fail. And it's kind of painful. Other people thrive and succeed, and like we got kind of envious. And oh, why? Why is that person doing so well? I should be doing so well. This in itself is is a very, a very prevalent characteristic that people have, where people don't feel good with other people's success. Don't feel good completely. Aren't able to be totally joyous in someone else's success. And uh, here we're told to embrace that, to try to be very happy in other people. Succeed. Someone else has a beautiful house, a beautiful car, a beautiful spouse, uh, whatever it is, uh, excel, be happy for them and don't feel like, well, their success results in your failure. Of course, their success does not result in your failure, but that's just a bad mita that we're uh, trying to avoid. Of course, having a a good friend, a friend is someone that you can rely upon that is looking out for your your well-being. It's someone who will also be kind enough to point out uh, when your zipper is down, <laughs> but not just when your zipper is down, uh, but when there's some area where they think that you can use improvement. Uh, if you know that someone really is looking out for your best, you're very, you're more willing to hear their critique uh, to be a good neighbor. So to be a good neighbor is not just a friend to one person. You have to be good to a lot of people. You know, if you live in an apartment building, there's maybe 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 different neighbors, if you have a good relationship with 20 different people, that's enough of a cross-section of humanity that will ensure that you'll love everyone. Anticipating the future, of course, if you always think about what your actions will lead to, 
That alone will make sure that all your actions are good. And finally, having a good heart, being patient, not being uh, quick to anger. It's like that old saying, if you teach a man to fish uh, or you give a man a fish, he, you have enough to eat for a day. Teach him to fish, he'll eat forever. If someone's heart is in the right place, the heart or certainly in this context, we're not talking about the muscle that pumps blood. We're talking about the spiritual heart, the, 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 the seat of your emotion is good. The seat of your desire is good. That will eventually lead to you being good entirely. I would say the takeaway for us from this Mishnah is that, number one, we should try to find areas in life that are good paths to strive towards, uh, maybe even in light of a good uh, understanding of who we are as individuals. Uh, find the path, and once you know the path that you need to go, it's much easier. You're halfway home. Uh, find the good path. Avoid the bad path. In addition, try to find those special characteristics that are so good and focusing very intently on acquiring that mida because those will lead to others. And hopefully, uh, following this lesson, we too will become a little bit more perfect, more righteous, more ethical. I look forward to seeing everyone next time.